Here we go. Uh, in 1974, which I was not born yet, in 1974, um, Harry Chapin's, my iPad is doing something really weird, and I have, I have no control over this right now. There we go. It's back. Um, <laughs> in 1974, which again, I was, I was not quite born yet. Uh, I was not thought of at that point in time. Um, so just to make some of you feel a little older, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Harry Chapin sang a song called Cat in the Cradle. Does anybody remember that? A couple people? Does anybody, is any, any of the millennials or Gen, Gen Z in the house have no idea what I'm talking about? Like, never heard of Cat in the Cradle? Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I was going to have uh, Greg come up and sing it, but he thinks he can't, he, he, he thinks he can't get through a word or two. Uh, it, is, it is certainly a, uh, a tearjerker, if, if you know what it's about. Um, he, he wrote this song, and it was topping the Billboard charts in 1974. And uh, if you don't know the song, the song's kind of about uh, this basically this dad who's very busy, and, and he you know, doesn't have time to hang out with his son and play with his son. And so um, he you know, kind of goes a, a few verses. His son gets a little older. You know, first he's a kid, then he's, a, you know, he's an older kid, teenager. Then he's, anyway, and then at the very end, the song kind of flips. And uh, what happens is now the dad wants to hang out with the son, but now the son has his own life. And, and now he's too busy to hang out with the dad. So uh, his, his song was on the top of the Billboard charts, and um, it, it, was a, it was very interesting. When I was reading about this, I was just read like a little, kind of a little blurb about the whole thing. And, uh, and I didn't hear it until my teen years, but, but there's something about the, the mix of lyrics and melody that's very sobering. Um, and it really focuses in on the regret of time wasted. Or time spent on things that maybe weren't as important as the things that he should have spent his time on. What's even more sobering is that the song was actually first a poem that was written by his wife, Sandy. And really it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the song debuted the year their son Josh was born. When Josh was seven, Harry was performing about 200 concerts a year staying on the road constantly, and his wife Sandy asked him when he was going to take the time to be with the family. And Harry said he would take some time off at the end of summer, just need to make it through this last stint of tours, these last shows, but he never made it to the end of summer because on July 16th, 1981, he was driving on the Long Island Expressway and a truck hit his car, and his life on earth came to an end. Man, how sobering is that? He's singing a song about the regrets of time lost, while in reality, he was losing time with his family because he didn't know when his time was going to be up. The truth is, all of our lives are going to come to an end. We're going to look back on them, and I think one of the greatest evaluations will be for us how we spent our time, our talent, and our treasure. Last week, we talked about quality time. Not quality time in the way that, that you're thinking, but, but quality time, the quality of your time. Think of it that way. The quality of your time. How quality is my time? The time that I'm spending. How are you spending your time? Time, I believe, is one of the most important resources, if not the most important resource that God gives us. How are we stewarding it? How are we using it for his glory? How are we using it to impact the world around us? I told you about two Greek words last week for time, chronos and kairos. 
All right, chronos is sequential. It's, it's past, it's present, and it's future. All right, it's linear. It's how we measure time. It's when we look at our watch. That's, that's chronos time. That's how we're looking at and measuring time. Kairos, on the other hand, refers to a window of opportunity, a critical moment, an appointed time. You can think of it this way. Chronos is quantitative while kairos is qualitative. So it's, it's, it's quantity versus quality. Chronos counts the minutes. Kairos captures the moment. So what we're talking about is Kairos time over the course of, of, the last, of last week and then, and then this week as we go through this time piece of the series. We're, we're talking about Kairos time. So last week I began sharing a few lessons on stewarding uh, our quality Kairos time. And I'd like to share uh, a couple more with you here this morning if that's okay. But I'm going to go back and kind of hit the ones we talked about last week so you know where we're at because this was kind of a to-be-continued situation. And so last week we said, number one, that you have to trust God's timing. You have to trust God's timing, all right? So God doesn't always reward good deeds on the spot, which is frustrating because we want, you know, sometimes we want that good deed rewarded right at, at the moment. Uh, we want the promotion. We want the bonus. We want uh, the pat on the back. We want the, the high five. We want all of these things. But God sometimes doesn't reward good deeds on the spot. Sometimes there's a time delay to the blessing. And sometimes we don't even see the blessing this side of heaven. Sometimes the blessing's only gonna come on the other side, but we have to trust God's timing. One of the hardest, one of the easiest things to say and one of the hardest things to actually do, if you're, if you're tracking with me, you know what I mean. Number two, uh, we said don't be focused, uh, don't be so focused on getting out of tough situations that you fail to get anything out of tough situations. All right, you have to, you have to learn the lessons that God is trying to teach you. And in those tough situations, there is a lesson there. In those tough situations, there is something to learn. There is something, there's some way that you're going to be, you're going to grow a little bit in the Lord. So we want to not focus so much on getting out of the situation that we fail to see what he's trying to do in the situation. Sometimes that means remaining in a tough season longer than you want to be there. Here's what I know for sure, and I said this last week as well. God loves you too much to bless you before you are ready to be blessed. Because the thing is, is, if you don't have the character to support the blessing, then the blessing becomes a curse. You have to have the character to support the blessing or else the blessing just becomes a curse. It just takes you down. So don't be so focused on getting out of tough situations that you fail to get anything out of tough situations. And then number three, the third one that we talked about, and this, this is where we stopped at last week. We said, don't put a period where God puts a comma and don't put a comma where God puts a period. We're so guilty of this, I think, so many of us. Uh, we want to be open to the Holy Spirit leading us. And we, we want to be constantly looking for what he's trying to show us. But some of us are quick to jump to conclusions and think because something didn't work out that it's not meant to be. And that's just simply not always the case. Let me tell you, if that were my mindset, then this church right here might not exist. If that were my mindset, then we might not be here this morning today. Because when I knew that God was leading me to plant a, a new church, I was looking for the exclamation mark. Right? I wanted him to just open the doors and put a big stamp of approval and exclamation mark on it and show me the way and then trumpets would sound and it would be just a beautiful thing. Instead, early on, I got a comma. I got a pause in the story. I got an ellipsis, if you will. 
Now, had I taken that as a period, I, I don't know, I mean, we may be in Wisconsin or Washington or, or California, but God placed a comma there and we needed to lean into that. Then when God picked the story back up and moved us forward, reveal Greenwood as the location, my comma, all right, the comma, the, the ellipsis, whatever, turned into a big question mark, if I'm being honest. What? Greenwood, full transparency here. There were moments where, once again, I wanted to put a period on the whole thing and move on. But God persisted, and here we are. Don't put a period where God puts a comma. Don't put a comma where God puts a period. You have no idea what blessings you're missing out on when you do that. So here we go, new material, something you haven't heard. Number four, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. Man, I can't, I can't remember. I, I honestly cannot tell you how many times in my life I've tried to get ahead of God. And if you're thinking about it, you're probably, no, you're probably like marking off a couple in your own head as well of how many times you tried to take matters into your own hand and get ahead of God. So let's, let's read this out of Genesis 12 because there's an account that some of you are familiar with of something that happened in the Old Testament where, where one of the fathers of our faith uh, got ahead of God and, and, and it was not a great situation. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord spoke to Abram and said, uh, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's what's happening. God is essentially in these moments and in these, in these passages, he's promising Abram, who, who becomes Abraham, promising Abraham a son. All right, he's promising him a son. But we're gonna, out of, out of you, there's gonna be a great nation that's gonna come to be, a great nation out of your descendants. But he doesn't have a son. All right, he has, no, he has no offspring right now. So how can a nation be created out of him? So God's saying, I'm going to give you a son and a great nation is going to descend from you. This is important because Abraham was 75 years old at the time. Now, they lived a little bit older back then, but he's still no spring chicken. Right? That's pretty late for having a kid. He's a little past his prime. So imagine his shock when God says, I'm going to give you a son, and through that lineage, the nation, my nation, my people will be born. Sounds like an exciting dream that God placed over his life. How many of you have exciting dreams? I've talked to people over the last weeks that say that God has called them to the mission field, that to, to go overseas even. I've, I've talked to people where God has called them to foster or adopt. God has called them into or even out of the ministry. God has called them to pursue a new career path, one that makes no sense. Abraham had an exciting dream. God laid a big one on him. But Abraham now is an example that we can look at today of somebody who got ahead of God. Somebody who tried to get in front of God and do things on his own. So we're going to jump ahead. That was in Genesis 12, but we're going to jump over to Genesis 16. So although the Lord had promised that he would have a son and his descendants would be as vast as the stars, Abram, Abraham was, was getting older and, and there was still no son. He was waiting on God. But here's what happened in uh, Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, 
Abram's wife had borne him no children. They've been trying, doing what you know God said. They, they tried to, to procreate, and it wasn't happening. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, uh, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant. Uh, it may be that I shall obtain, a ch- obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So uh, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he's now 85 years old, um, he, uh, he, he lived in the land of Canaan. Uh, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave him to Abram, uh, her husband, as a wife. And, and he went into Hagar, and, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. All right, so they live 10 years in the land of Canaan. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to do what, what God's asking, but, but they're, they're waiting and nothing's happening. And so they decide to kind of take matters into their own hands. Abram's wife, Sarah, came up with this plan to speed up God's promise. How many of us have been there planning to speed up God's promise? All right. Her plan was that Abraham sleep with and have a son through her Egyptian maid, Hagar. How many of us have been there? I'm just kidding. We haven't. <laughs> I don't think any of us have been there. I hope not. You know, ironically, the reason that Hagar was actually even in their house the reason Hagar was even there was because at, at another point earlier in Scripture, uh, Abraham had taken a detour from God's will, and, and he had moved his family to Egypt to escape a famine. Even though God said, I'm going to supply you, I'm going to get you through this, he still took things into his own hands, and he went to Egypt and, and escaped a famine. And then that's where they met up with Hagar, and that's where Hagar became uh, a servant in their house. And so you see how these bad decisions uh, of stepping outside of the will of God stacked up. All right, so now, so now he jumped ahead of God and, and did what Sarah suggested. So naturally, when Hagar conceived uh, with a child, if you keep reading, you'll see that conflict and trouble immediately entered into the household. Even that last verse, uh, whenever she had the kids, she looked with contempt on her mistress. She looked at, at Sarah with contempt. Because all through their scheming, Ishmael was born. But he was not the son that God had promised. He was not the one that was supposed to come. That was not the one that was foretold. Church, sometimes we don't understand how God could possibly accomplish what he's promised uh, in our lives. So we decide to help him out in some way or another, and we do it ourselves. However, if we don't want to wait for God, then we're not going to be able to live in harmony with God. And we're going to suffer the consequences. Following his plan, no matter uh, how long the wait, is always, always, always a better option. God has infinite wisdom. He knows our past, present, and future. And when we listen and obey him, then I think, I believe scripture tells us we're going to experience his best for our lives, even though it's not always easy. And I'm the first to tell you it's not always easy. But because of impatience and unwillingness to wait for God, Sarah had a son through Hagar. Came with, again, like I said, all the heartache, the strife, the, the, he- the trials. If you were to, to read on in the account of Genesis, you'll see eventually that she conceived her own son with Abraham when he was 100 years old. 100 years old. The Lord delayed the son's arrival for so long, I believe, because he wanted them to realize that Abraham's promised lineage would only come through a miraculous work of God. So he, he had to separate out their transgression, their taking things into their own hands, 
He had to separate that out by a few years so that he could show this was me. This was me. Now, I think we probably, most of the time at least, don't deliberately decide to jump ahead of God. I mean, there may be our times, but, but I think most of us, we, we wouldn't say that we want to deliberately jump ahead of God. We simply make choices that please us at the moment or, or that seem to be the answer that we're seeking. And since we live in a culture that doesn't value waiting, we, we tend to imitate what everyone else is doing. And this is true in almost every area of our lives. Purchases, jobs, marriage, education, everything in between. Here's what I want you to hear right now, church. The fastest way to get where God wants you to go is to wait. The fastest way to get where God wants you to go is to wait. Yes, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations, but do you know what he said? Do you know what he said after that, right before his ascension? He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that the Father has promised. Right? And they waited for 10 days. But what if they had only waited for nine days? What if they had only waited for nine days? I don't know. I don't know if we'd be here today. Obviously, he would have done something. God's God, and he would have made it work. But, but the point still stands. If they had only waited nine days, then the Holy Spirit would not have poured out on them in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. He told them to wait. I think we have a tendency to get ahead of God. And I'll tell you what happens when we get ahead of God. When we get ahead of God, we begin to do God's job for him. And I am terrible at God's job. What happens is we try to manufacture the miracle. Isn't that what Moses was doing when he took kind of the, the injustice into his own hands? Right? Whenever he, whenever he sees that there's an injustice happening and he, he takes matters into his own hands and he sees that things are wrong in Egypt and, and so he says, you know, you kill us, so, so I'm going to kill you. Can I tell you what happens, church, when you get ahead of God? It costs you 40 years. It costs Moses 40 years. We have to be careful we don't want to birth what God promises. We don't, don't, don't birth what God promises you in the strength of your flesh. Don't birth what God promises you in the strength of your flesh. Because here's the thing. Uh, we, want, we want to wait on the Lord. Uh, I want to tell someone this morning that God has something for you. He has declared a promise over your life. He's cast a vision over your heart. He's made a, a statement of provision or blessing in some area. He's spoken, spoken healing to your soul. God has something for you. But... I have to tell someone this morning, you have to wait until he's ready. His timeline, not ours. We operate on that Kronos, past, present, future. He's waiting for the Kairos. He's waiting for the exact moment. He's waiting for things, the conditions to be right. He's waiting for that window of opportunity to open. God has something for you. But sometimes we have to wait. I don't know if you're in here and you're dealing with a tough work situation, you feel called to something else, but, but that career path hasn't opened up yet. Don't get ahead of God. Maybe there's someone with us today that feels like they want to do something specific for the Lord, but that door of opportunity hasn't quite opened yet. Don't get ahead of God. 
Whatever your situation, don't get ahead of God. Understand this, church. If we birth in the flesh, all right, if we birth in the flesh, we have to provide for in the flesh. But when God's spirit births in your life, in his own time, God will provide. So don't, don't birth any Ishmaels. Here's the last one this morning, and there's going to be a lot packed into it in these last moments that I have with you. Uh, number five, busyness is not a good substitute for laziness. Busyness is not a good substitute for laziness. Now, I don't imagine I have to say much for you to know that laziness is not okay. I mean, I, I cannot think of a single time where I've heard a person refer to another person as lazy with an endearing tone. I can't, I can't picture one. I can't think of one. Scripture's clear on this point. It says in Proverbs 13, the soul of the sluggard uh, craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Second Thessalonians says, uh, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Proverbs 10, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And 1 Timothy 5, 8, uh, uh, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I could keep going, but I think you get the picture. So then what does our culture and society say to do? Fill up your schedule. Max out your, your day planner. Overpopulate your Google calendar. Be busy. Be busy. I love this in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. Uh, For we hear uh, that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Paul calls them not just busy, but busy bodies. I imagine there are seasons where we have fallen into that category. But how many of us stay there? How many of us live and operate there? And when we are there, are we really being good stewards of God's time? Is it quality time we're spending in those busy seasons? I want to quickly share a few sub points to go with this one. Because in this world, in this culture, to, to slow down and not be a busybody is honestly a tall order. So I want to give you a few keys to learning how to slow down a beat and not replace laziness with busyness. These aren't exhaustive. These are just a few thoughts to help you if you're struggling in this area. And the first one is learn how to say no. Learn that little word, no. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Often we don't, we don't say no because of our fear of man. I think that's, that's got a lot to do with it. We don't say no because of a fear of, of man or, or a situation. We want to be liked. We want to genuinely, or maybe we just genuinely want to help everyone. Maybe that's kind of our, we just really want to help everyone. But if we say no, when we should say no, then it's really love and self-control that is winning the battle. One of my, my favorite scenes uh, from Disney's Aladdin, if anybody remembers that from good old 1991, 1992, something like that, uh, Disney's Aladdin, uh, is when Aladdin finally sets the genie free. All right, you've been waiting for it. Spoiler alert. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, you've had 26 years, so get over it. Um, <laughs> 
It's when, it's when the, Aladdin finally sets the genie free. You've been waiting on it all movie, and then he was going to do it, and then he wasn't going to do it, and then, then Jafar got in the picture, and things got crazy, and, you know, whatever. So, so at the very end, he finally gets to set the genie free. And the genie says, quick, wish for something outrageous. Say, I wish for the Nile. So Aladdin wishes for the Nile. And genie responds with, no way. <laughs> He's never been able to say no. His entire existence is predicated on the fact that he does wishes for people. Everything that somebody wishes for, he says yes, and he does it with a, a few, uh, you know, provisos, uh, of course. But, but he says yes. He's never been able to say no. You know, it's not that difficult to say no. Look at your neighbor and say no right now. No, it's not that hard. But we struggle with it, don't we? We really struggle with it. The word no is, I think, one of the keys to overcoming uh, this tendency to do too much. I think we're busybodies because we can't say no to anybody or anything. I don't know if Andy Stanley is the one who coined this phrase, but I know he said it, and that's where I read it. He said, he said this, saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. Man, that should be a guiding principle in our lives. Sometimes we have to say no to one thing so that we can say yes to something else. So let's just bring it down to practical life for a second. If I take every meeting with everybody, then I will end up robbing my family of time that they deserve and probably miss quite a few God appointments along the way. You have to know your priorities, know your limits. Sometimes you have to say no to some good things. And in fact, let me say it this way. You need to say no to some important things so that you can say yes to the most important things. And that's not easy to do. That's really not easy to do. If your schedule is out of control, you need to treat time like money. Come up with a budget. You need to sit down and budget out your time. You need to make sure that you don't go over budget just like uh, with your time, just like you don't want to go over budget with your money. So B, these are just practical, easy, not easy. These are just practical uh, little things here to, to help us out in this way. B, uh, redeem the time. All right, so we got to learn to say no, but we also want to redeem the time. Ephesians 5.16, making the best use of time because the days or evil. I love that KJV actually says redeem the time instead of making the best use. It's redeem the time, which I love the way that's worded. So let me quickly put it in very practical terms. How many of you have to commute for work or spend a ton of time in the car driving your kids around? Cool. Like half, like half of you. Redeem that time. Have, have conversations with, with God or, or with your kids. Don't just listen to music but have some conversations. Some of them might be random and weird and talk about who knows what, but some of them might be great, impactful conversations. But even more than that, it's just, it's just time together. I know people that travel to and from work and listen to, to audio Bible. They may pray for people. They might call and, and catch up with friends. I have a friend who just, um, a church planner friend who just got a job as a, as a dog walker. And, and I, you know, he told me that, and I was like, wow, this is, this is an interesting choice of occupation. But while he's walking dogs, he's praying. He's, he's praying for his community. He's making phone calls and connecting with people. He's thinking about things. that So he's, he's, he's redeeming the time. Let's talk about the bathroom. 
Some of you spend a lot of time in there. You need to redeem that time. Put a, put a book in there and read. You'd be surprised how much you can read if you don't waste that time. For me, I take abnormally long showers. I'm a long shower person. If, 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 I, if I'm in the shower for less than 10 minutes, then there's a problem. So I redeem that time, though, by thinking and praying. I love thinking in the shower. I need to get, like, the waterproof notebook so that I can go in there and just, like, write ideas down. I don't have to go any further. I think you know what I'm, I'm getting at. And C, here's the last one. Take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. Mark 2, 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. Take some rest. The Sabbath is for us. You know, obviously we tend to, we, we live now in today's age, we live at, at a technological pace rather than agricultural pace, which is the pace in which the Bible was written. All right, we live in a different way. It was probably easier to take time to rest 2,000 years ago. It probably was. Our pace of life is, is just faster. But don't you think that it makes it that much more important for us to slow down and take that time to rest? If our pace of life is so much faster, if our schedules are so much fuller, if we have so much more going on, do you know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is just a way of saying, dear God, I am not. I'm going to let go and let God. Listen, work hard, do it heartily as unto the Lord. But if you aren't Sabbathing, then, then what it tells me is, is that you are playing God and you're trying to do more than what you are actually capable of doing. We need to be resting. So here's the struggle for this generation. We are, we are never present, but, we're, but we're, we, we're never present when we are present. It's kind of the Martha syndrome. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, if you remember this. Uh, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says she has chosen what is better. And Martha was like, what do you mean? I'm running around doing this and that, and, and I'm doing all these things to prepare for you to be here. And Jesus was like, no, you don't get it. It's not about you running around and doing everything and trying to be everything. It's about resting in me. We have to take a step back. And I'm giving you permission. God is giving you permission, church, to take a step back and rest. That's what the Sabbath is for. It means literally in the Hebrew to catch your breath or let your spirit catch up with you. The Sabbath is so critical. So those are just three things um, under that one I wanted to, to share with you. And there's so many more ways uh, that we could go on that and talk about how, how busyness is not a good substitute for laziness. And we can, we can work out some different things in there. And, and I encourage you to do that on your own. We want to make sure that our time is for God. We literally have no idea how much time we have to praise God, to honor God, to share God with others. We have no idea. And so let's, let's make sure that we're using that time effectively, that we're being good stewards of the time that he's given us. That's not to say every waking moment you have to, you know, you have to plan out and you have to make sure, okay, what am I doing for God at 1131 p.m. tonight? Like, it's, it's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is making sure that, that when you look back, 
your life. When you look back and, and say, what, what was it that is the common thread through my life? Was it God or was it something else? Was it my relationship with God or was it this other thing? Where did I spend my time? How much time did I give to, to my family, to my responsibilities, to my work, to my church, to, to whatever? And how much time did I set aside and make sure that I'm spending with the creator who wants to spend time with me? Let's make sure that we're being good stewards of our time. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about, uh, about our treasures and about our talents, about the other things that God gives us. But we want to spend two weeks on time because time is that important. Time is honestly that important. It's the thing that we, we waste very easily. We binge watch 10 hours of Netflix, and that time is gone. You're not getting it back. It's over. It's fine to watch Netflix. It's fine to have a, a PJ's day, you know, Saturday where you just don't get out of your PJs. It's fine. But let's understand that each and every breath, each and every day that God gives us is a blessing. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a time for us to be able to live and to glorify God and to exalt his name and we want to give it our all. Right? We, want to pour, we, want to, we want to pour ourselves into the community around us, into our neighbors, into our families, into our friends, into our work, into our church. We want to do that. And that takes time. So let's make sure that we're being good stewards of time. Let me pray over you, and then we're going to worship some more. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the time that you've given us on this earth. For some of us, it's only been... 20 years, for some of us, has been 30, 40, 50, 60 years. God, you've given us time, and we're not sure how much time we have left. But I pray, God, as we've, as we've walked through this together, as we've talked about some of this together, that, that we realize and recognize here this morning that, that the time is yours. All the time we have is yours. We're just stewards of it. May we use it well. May we be good stewards of our time on earth. And God, if we do so, I know that we're going to reap the benefits, that we're going to see the blessings, whether it be right now, right here and on earth, or whether it be in heaven on the other side. So God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had here this morning. I pray as we, as we continue to worship that you would continue to move and work in our lives and in our hearts. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.